What's going on, guys? Let's get into a week four breakdown here. I'm going to discuss every game that happened on the week four slate of the NFL season. I'm going to begin things with a game that I think is very important because in my preparation this week, and, and I did intend on posting a locks of the week and a upsets of the week and all that kind of stuff, one of the games that I absolutely was not considering as a lock of the week, I, I ultimately didn't post it. I just got busy. One thing led to another. Anyways, the one one of the games that I said, hey, that's not a lock, and that was the Giants and the Saints game. So the Saints were seven-point favorites, right? That was a you know a decently big spread, but nothing crazy. And my whole thing about that game going into it was like, man, I didn't think that either team was going to be able to score very many points. You know, that's, that's really what I was uh, – if you would have told me Daniel Jones is going to throw for over 400 yards, I would have laughed you out of the – out of the building right but that did happen the craziest thing was this over the first half plus of that game it was exactly the kind of game I thought it would be very low scoring you know not a lot of action in terms of like offensive um you know not not anything crazy going on on the offensive side of the ball for either team but as it turns out Daniel Jones after going down 21 10 pretty much just puts the Giants on his back. And yes, it was largely because of Saquon Barkley as well. But that game went from 21-10, they're losing, to uh, three possessions later, three Daniel Jones possessions later, 27-21, the Giants win the whole damn thing. right? So that was an impressive team win from the Giants. And I I know a lot of Giant fans are not going to be the most optimistic in terms of their team right now. You started 0-3, right? That's very tough, especially when you had some expectations this season of potentially being a playoff team, right? So the 0-3 start was devastating in that regard. But going into New Orleans and beating the Saints right here, this is could be, and it might be really an, an earlier kind of a equal win in terms of the one you guys had last year at Seattle. Could be. Now, I looked at the Giants schedule coming up and it's not an easy schedule. So I'll give you, you know, if there's reason for uh, pessimism, it's definitely because of your schedule. Your schedule is just brutal. Um, but I just think that in any case, Daniel Jones, man, uh, averaging 10 yards per pass attempt, having the three consecutive drives to win it, uh, to come back, tie it and then win it. And then Saquon Barkley just being awesome, you know, 52 rush yards, 74 receiving yards, uh, two touchdowns. If you tell me someone that you draft, like, oh, running backs aren't important, you know, you can draft a guy in day three and get the same production, that is just horseshit because Saquon Barkley was making things happen. And, um, and so I just think that his value, you saw his value on full display, and especially because he's finally looking like he's getting back to full health, so or at least somewhere close to it. Uh, the receivers for the Giants, you know, you've got your, your two of your top guys out, right? Uh, Sterling Shepard's been your number one receiver in terms of production so far. He's out. Darius Slayton's out. You get Kenny Galladay goes for six for 116. Kadarius Tony six for 78. And he made a ton of plays after the catch with the ball in his hands. Exactly why I liked him so much coming out of Florida. And then you got John Ross who caught the deep ball, 50-yard touchdown. or something. It was around 50 yards. Uh, finished with three for 77 in that score. So that right there was impressive stuff because now what's this offense going to look like when you've got Slayton and Sterling Shepard back, which they should be. I would I think it's fairly soon those guys. So um, guys, this is a New Orleans Saints defense that's really really good. And if you heard what Sean Payton said after the game, he said what was the problem defensively, and he said the problem was that Daniel Jones just got rid of the damn ball so quick. Right? Daniel Jones was not sitting back there Ben Roethlisberger, you know, uh, holding it, holding it. He was willing to hold it and make a big play as you saw deep down the field to John uh, John Ross, but he was also he was able to get the ball out of his hands. You know, he was able to rely on his playmakers to make plays. And Kadarius Tony did that, you know, phenomenally well. Saquon Barkley did that, obviously, as a receiver um, and as a guy that, that did so as a runner as well. Andrew Thomas is playing really good football. Apparently, PFF has him as their highest graded second year offensive tackle. So that's, uh, you know, all those signs are good for the Giants. Like they didn't get a ton in the way of a pass rush, but Jameis Winston got the ball out of his hands very effectively, very fast. Jameis, by the way, 
I thought was really good. He was uh, 17 of 23, 226 yards. So he averaged 9.8 yards in attempts, 74% completion percentage. I would like to see if, and if I'm going to, you know, kind of be a little bit nitpicky at Sean Payton, I understand Sean Payton's approach in terms of like wanting to be a very run heavy and, and, you know, kind of conservative uh, guy on the offensive side of the ball. You don't want Jameis Winston out there throwing three or four interceptions. And with your defense that the Saints have, Jameis Winston not turning the ball over, Jameis Winston making a chunk play or two every game with his arm, you know, you would imagine that's a formula for success and, and should be able to win you a bunch of games. I will, however, say keep everything the same, except let's see a little bit more aggression from Jameis Winston. Let's see two or three or four more calls uh, with him pushing the ball down the football field, whether it be in the intermediate or deep areas of the field, because you saw that one throw he made to uh, Marquez Callaway that was just an absolute dime. That thing probably went 60 yards in the air, and it was incredibly accurate because Bradbury was on coverage. We know Bradbury's a, a good cover corner, and Callaway had maybe a, a half a step, but the ball was delivered where only he could get it. And when, when Jameis makes that throw in that type of way where it's only where his guy can get it, I don't see really any downside for you to attempt things like that. And obviously, you know, you have to mix it up a little bit. But I think that from the Saints standpoint, I would like to see Jameis. I mean, look, just 23 pass attempts. I'm all for running the ball. But Alvin Kamara, guys, by the way, Alvin Kamara in his in the last two seasons has had one game with 20 or more carries. He's had three this year, three of the four games. Kamara has seen 20 or more carries so that um, it's a, it's a totally different style. Plus he's not even being targeted in the passing game, right? So it's a totally different style. I think Sean Payton should feel comfortable and confident enough in what we've seen in Jameis Winston and how he's taking care of the football football in at least three of the four games you know, the Carolina game a little bit got away from him. But when you with what you've seen, if I'm Sean Payton, I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, uh, confident in Jameis Winston's ability to protect the football and to still be a guy that can make those, th uh, you know, dynamic plays for you offensively. So I'm going to just put a little bit more on his plate moving forward. I think ultimately the Saints will be a okay. They're, they're dealing with some injuries as well. They're two and two. They're only a game out of first place, you know, because the Bucks and Panthers are both three and one. So the Saints are right there in the thick of it. And uh, the Giants, from that standpoint, are now, you know, I think that it's going to be a very tall order, even though it's early for them to try and catch the Dallas Cowboys. But at one and three, you now position yourselves where. Never say never in terms of the division, but I think that the wild card spot, especially with remember there's seven playoff teams now. I think that is that uh, you know absolutely a, a situation where the Giants, if they just keep their head down, keep winning football games, it's just not going to be easy. As I mentioned, their schedule is kind of brutal, but if they keep their head down, keep winning games, they have the talent, in my opinion, to compete with any team on any given week. So I think that. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how that goes. They got to be consistent. But Daniel Jones, last point on him, he's the seventh highest uh, point scorer this year in fantasy, by the way. He's the cube. I'm assuming that's QB seven. But in any case, he is, you know, quietly playing really, really good football. I think before this game, PFF had him as the sixth highest graded quarterback. So I would imagine after that game in New Orleans, He's moving, at least staying the same or moving up in that regard. So, yes, Giants fans, you should feel excited. If, if nothing else, right, like even if, let's say the Giants go 6-11 and 11 or whatever, you know, and they don't make the playoffs, if Daniel Jones keeps playing like this, now you know that you've got your franchise quarterback, right? There's no reason at that point to then say, well, we need to draft another quarterback. No, like you, you know what you've got. If Saquon Barkley, God willing, continues to get healthier and healthier and playing well, like this offense right now, is loaded from a skill player standpoint. We're starting to see Kenny Galladay, a guy that has only played in three games ever with Daniel Jones before uh, this one, you know, finally have over 100 yards and kind of that breakout performance we've been waiting for him to have. And by the way, it's not been all bad for Galladay. He leads the NFL, or, or else he's second. I think he might be tied for second in explosive plays, catches a 15 or more yards. Um, so I think he's like 11 on the season. So when you look at all that and then you think, well, he's been shitty, you know, during the first three games. Not really, what do you have? Sixty-four yards in two of those three games, and then the other one was kind of a, a letdown game. So, to me, 
Kenny Galladay, it it took a little while, right, for him to really have that game, big game that we've been waiting for. But I think that he's a guy that can ultimately, from here on out, can be a low-end wide receiver, too, for you. And I think that's almost his floor. So, anyways, let's talk about the Chiefs beating up on the Philadelphia Eagles. And first things first, man, the freaking Eagles, uh, the offense was really, really good. And that was without, for whatever reason without the run game like they just weren't really into running the football I think Nick Sirianni has a ton of confidence in Jalen Hurts and why wouldn't he Hurts was amazing he was 32 of 48 387 two touchdowns no picks he also led them in rushing with eight carries 47 yards so you know that was it look Hurts was consistently good okay and I and Devontae Smith was good seven catches 122 yards Kenneth Gainwell finds himself getting more touches than Miles Sanders again with six catches, 58 yards through the air for him. And look, I just think that the the Eagles needed to run the football a little bit more simply because it would have maybe, hopefully, uh, it would have given you a better chance at least for the Chiefs offense to not be in such a great rhythm. But man, that Chiefs offense was phenomenal. Patrick Mahomes, extremely efficient in this game, 24 of 30 just an 80% completion rate uh, at a, for 9.3 yards and attempt five touchdowns and one interception. The interception was just a, it was caused by that Eagles pass rush. And by the way, the Eagles pass rush at times, even though the stat sheet won't tell you this, they made Mahomes uncomfortable, right? They they were kind of they were able to get home. They were able to get real pressure that affected him um, at times. But uh, Tyreek Hill was unstoppable caught 11 of his 12 targets for 186 yards and three touchdowns unreal I, i'm so happy i splurged and played him in dfs because well i think that was basically the ceiling closer to the ceiling of what i was getting from him and the icing on the cake with the third down touchdown catch to, to basically in you know end the game there at the end uh clyde edwards elaire playing well again 14 carries 102 yards his back-to-back games with over 100 rushing yards for Clyde, averaged 7.3 yards a carry, even caught two passes for uh, 12 yards, one of them being a touchdown on the little uh, shovel pass. Remember what I told you guys about Travis Kelsey? Remember I said he's 32 years old. We don't know if he's going to be able to consistently produce, and that's why you shouldn't draft him in the late first, early second round. Well, in this one, he had like four catches for 26 yards, I believe it was. So wasn't his best day. I'm not, I'm look, he might be, a, you know the tight end one every week hereafter i'm just i'm just saying that's the like if you have kelsey you probably didn't win this week because i mean unless you it just depends on what up what your the rest of your team was able to do but when your first round pick or second round pick throws up a dud it's tough to win in those games but um another good game for Devontae smith as i mentioned and the chiefs now are two and two a game behind the Raiders and Chargers in first place in the AFC West. Ultimately, I'm not too concerned if I'm a Chiefs fan. I think that if we just do what we're supposed to do, we'll win, I would say, 14 games. You know, I, I think that that's kind of – I don't see them losing more than one or two more games, maybe three at the most for the rest of the season. So now you have to see what these young teams can do in the Chargers and Raiders and Broncos. Oh, yeah, by the way, Broncos are also there as well at 3-1. and one. So we have to see what those guys can do in terms of, um, you know, consistency throughout the season and also when they inevitably have to play the Chiefs. But the Eagles are one in three as well. They need to obviously need to get some wins going here. But, you know, they've they've been competitive, man. They've been uh, aside from last week against Dallas. It was a rough game for them. They really bounced back in a strong way. And they were if you watch this game, you know, it was very very competitive from start to finish. So I think Philadelphia, as I mentioned before the season started, I think they're a much better team than we probably all, you know, uh, thought of them before the season, even though they just they just sit at one and three. So anyways, let's talk Cowboys and Panthers. My Panthers lost in a, you know, a tough one to swallow. But look, the first thing I'll say about the Panthers from their standpoint, right? It's very encouraging what you saw because Okay, first of all, we were winning at halftime. I think it was 14-13, right? So we were we had the lead on the road against a very good football team in Dallas at the half. Then second half comes around, you know, the Cowboys start to pull away and it looks like the game has gotten completely out of control. And I understand there were a lot of bad calls and stuff like that too, but I'm just, you know, the thing that I'm encouraged about is this. The Panthers were down big. They came they came back, fought back and almost almost won the damn game like they almost came back to tie it or whatever so I thought that was very encouraging 
I think that uh, Sam Darnold has been awesome. As I tweeted out during the game, he only brought the good parts of Sam Darnold to Carolina with him. He left the shitty, you know, he left the bad pieces of him in New York with the Jets. And as I said that, he made at least two, maybe three throws that was like, whoa, you know, that was very uh, old Sam, shades of the old Sam Darnold. So he, um, I think he threw two interceptions in this game, but he still had over 300 yards. He still had two um, uh, rushing touchdowns. So he was, he was all in all very good. And again, that's a pretty damn good Dallas defense. So I think that that's uh, definitely encouraging Robbie Anderson. We saw a, a comeback in targets for him. He was targeted 11 times and 23 of Sam Darnold's 39 pass attempts went to either DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson. So as I mentioned, which probably could have happened, right. Or at least made sense with CMC out, it seemed like a very logical thing for Robbie Anderson to be more involved, right? Those, those targets are not going to go to Chuba Hubbard. They're, they're going to, I think Hubbard was targeted twice, which is great. But ultimately, Robbie Anderson is the guy that you need to get more involved now that uh, McCaffrey's out and even with McCaffrey back, in my opinion. But uh, the Panthers, I'm very encouraged by a lot of things I saw. The run defense was not one of them. Uh, Zeke and Pollard combined for 30 carries, 210 yards and a touchdown. So that's averaging seven yards per carry. Trayvon Diggs was awesome again with two interceptions, and the dude can just flat out cover. You know, look, when you've got a guy in Trayvon Diggs, and I mentioned this last week, I'll say it again now, a guy that can that can has agility, right? He's a, he's a he's quick in and out of his breaks. He can flip his hips, all that stuff, and he's got like 33 inch arms and phenomenal instincts for the position. That was a guy that was always going to succeed in the NFL. And I know the long speed was an issue, but you show me where his long speed's costing him because I haven't seen it. I think maybe once last year I, I remember a specific play, but other than that. He's been able to hold his own in that regard because of his football intelligence. Dak Prescott was insanely efficient. And uh, like, so this is the crazy part about Dak, right? With eight minutes left in the third quarter, from that point on the rest of the game, Dak finished the game five out of six. So only through in the last quarter and a half, only threw the ball six times for 50 yards and two touchdowns, right? It was just it was everything Dallas did offensively was very efficient. Now, at this point, I'm willing to say the Dallas Cowboys are legitimate NFC contenders. I mean, they to me, they went into Tampa, and this is their only loss, by the way. They went into Tampa and should have beat the Buccaneers, right, uh, on the ring ceremony night and everything. I mean, they went in there and gave them all they could handle, had the lead with like a minute to go or whatever it was, and... um you know, ultimately fell a little bit short there, but they're showing you that they can win in a variety of ways. They can win in this game. It was a bunch of the run game, right? You know, uh, Pollard and Zeke, 30 carries over 200 yards, as I mentioned. The defense was very good at times. It made big time takeaways at times, right? And then Dak was in incredibly efficient. We've seen them. We've seen him throw for 400. We've seen him throw for 200. We've seen, you know, we've seen a variety of different ways they can win football games. We saw them go into LA and shut down Justin Herbert, who is, you know, is not somebody that's easy to shut down in terms of like, in terms of the points they allowed. I think they only, what did they allow? 17 points in that game. So, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm encouraged from the, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm feeling really, really good because I think that they are, as I mentioned, legitimate contenders and pretty heavy favorites after four games uh, to win the NFC East. So that's uh, is what it is. All right. The Packers beat the Steelers 27, 17, the biggest and most impressive part. If I'm a, if I'm a Packer fan, aside from the defense being good is that AJ Dillon was involved and AJ Dillon was very good. He was their best runner of the football in that game. He had 15 carries for 81 uh, yards on the ground. He, he made a couple of, of big runs too, where 20 plus yard run here. And he almost, he came up just a yard short on one of his 20 yard runs. And, um, and it inevitably ed to it ended up with a touchdown anyways on that drive. But, and look, Steelers fans, I know you're going to say, dude, we were not offsides. That was a game changing play. And the fact of the matter is you're right. And it should have counted for a touchdown for the Steelers. But at the end of the day, you got completely outplayed in every facet of this game, you know? So while I agree that that, that that should have made the game closer and who knows potentially change the outcome because momentum is a very real thing. I just think that ultimately when you get played outplayed on in every facet of the football game, 
you know, I think that it's it's tough to really hang it all on one call. So that's all I'll say for that. But uh, I will say Deontay Johnson was targeted another 13 times. He caught nine for 92 and a touchdown. And yes, Jair Alexander was covering him on that long touchdown that he had to start the game off. Deontay Johnson, I mentioned this yesterday, I tweeted out, he's going to continue to get targeted. Why is that? Because he's always open because he's a phenomenal route runner. It's just plain and simple. He is a great route runner and he's a dude that has the quickness has the speed the the ball skills and yeah i know drops or whatever i get that but he still has ball skills he can still make plays he is a nuanced route runner in just his third season so i'm very impressed with what i've seen from him um let's talk about the jets beating the jets beating the tennessee titans when i was doing my prep for this week's games I was about to put this game as a lock, and then I thought about it, and I said, you know, this game, and I wish I would have been able to do my preview for last week because I nailed this one. I, I was thinking, like, in this particular game, it feels like last year's Titans-Bengals game going against the rookie Joe Burrow. Um, I lost money on that game betting on the Titans, and I just felt like this kind of feels like it could be that kind of game where the Jets beat the Titans, and that I, I, I was my thoughts on it. And sure enough, Zach Wilson played his best game of the season, 21 of 34, 297, two touchdowns, one pick. That's almost almost nine yards per pass attempt. And guess what, guys? He was only sacked one time, once. In the previous three games, he's been sacked six times, five times, four times, right? So only sacked once, and he threw the interception early in the game. After that, he was able to bounce back very nicely and really play a good game. And somebody put the... Uh, the throwing chart or whatever that thing's called of Mac Jones and Zach Wilson side by side. And they said on Twitter, these guys are playing different sports and <laughs> just like, because Zach Wilson is really, he is pushing the ball all over the field. I mean, it's deep down the field, some stuff that's short, a lot in the intermediate areas. He's really, you know, making some pretty big throws and, and just flashing that big time arm talent. Did you see that long touchdown? I think it was the Corey Davis. Uh, that was a, beautiful throw and it was funny because he did something very similar to that in week one against my Panthers and it was dropped by Elijah Moore I believe it was and it, I wouldn't say drop maybe it's not the right way to describe it it was it was in in and out of the hands but it was a very difficult catch that's the kind of stuff Zach Wilson is you know now we're seeing it's a game of inches right now he made it just a little bit more accurate and his, his receiver was able to come down with it so that was um yes that was good and Zach Wilson, as I mentioned, was awesome. I think the Jets' D was really good, too. They sacked Ryan Tannehill seven times. And I know Tannehill was without his top two weapons and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I get all that. Uh, but they held Ryan Tannehill to just 6.1 yards per pass attempt. Derrick Henry somehow still went for over 150 yards rushing, 33 carries for 157 and a touchdown. But I think this right here for the Jets, man, is a good character-building team win and – um you know, they look, I think they're probably a year or two away from any type of contention, right, for playoffs or whatever. But I think that this right here is one of those wins that you never know, man. It could it could really uh, catapult them into being a much more competitive team, if nothing else, for, for here on out. So I, I like that for the Jets. And the Titans now are 2-2, two and two, still atop the AFC South, but the Indianapolis Colts won their game. So now they're only a game Plus, they have the victory over them head-to-head. -head. But still, they're only a game ahead of Indy right now and uh, from the record. So it is what it is. We'll see We'll see how the Titans bounce back. I have a feeling they'll be all right. Um, Cleveland beat Minnesota in what was we all thought was going to be some high-scoring game. It was not. It was a 14-7 game, and that wasn't even because of two touchdowns. That was um, – it was weird. It was – yeah. Anyways, 14-7, right? Kirk Cousins on the first drive of the game, the very first drive of the game, comes out, goes six of six for 59 yards and a touchdown. And you're like, all right, here we go. We're about to see a bunch of points scored, all that, right? After that, Cousins went 14 of 32. So less than 60, I mean, less than 50% completion percentage, 144 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. He averaged 4.5 yards per pass attempt from that point on. Do you know what I will say about the Browns? Because I know Browns fans are stressing out because Baker Mayfield didn't have a very good game and all that stuff. Look, I understand that. But do you know what good teams do? They win games on their bad days. 
And that's what you did. You were on the road. You were playing against the coach and Mike Zimmer that literally knows Kevin Stefanski's offense like the back of his hand because he, remember, was on uh, Zimmer's staff, right? It makes perfect sense for Baker Mayfield to struggle in this game. I don't know why we didn't see this coming, to be honest, because it worked on both sides of the ball. Stefanski knows how to stop Stefanski's offense, which largely the Vikings are still utilizing to some extent. And Mike Zimmer also knows how because he practiced against them every every day in practice. Like, like what uh, Bill Belichick said, we played against Tom Brady in practice every day. Right. Like the the Vikings defense knows how to defend. They know what gives that offense trouble because, you know, like I said, that's what they run as well. And um, they also know how they know Stefanski's tendencies and stuff like that. So it really made a lot of sense for this game to come out the way it did in terms of the points. Right. But I think um, Baker Mayfield will have better days. I wouldn't stress about it. You know, somebody mentioned this, too. They said Aaron Rodgers came out week one and had an absolute stinker of a performance. Guess what? Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers, right? He's still he's still a great player and he'll have better days. And that's what we've seen since. I think the same thing about Baker Mayfield here. I think that more importantly, it is very impressive for the Browns to be able to win this game on a bad day. Right. In terms of like, at least from a passing offense standpoint, they were rough. But I will say Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were awesome. Thirty five carries for one hundred and sixty nine yards and a touchdown. You know, um, it's those two guys are becoming, I mean, maybe not becoming, maybe they just are and have been the best running back tandem in the NFL. And I don't think I'm breaking any news with a statement like that. But um, I thought the Cleveland, I think Cleveland fans, if you want to find something to be really optimistic about, it should be your defense. Because even though I said, you know, the tendencies, you know, the offense of the, uh, uh, the Vikings run or whatever. But I think to just looking at what you guys have done going back to the week before when you just completely annihilated Justin Fields, nine sacks and just shut him down completely. Now you look at what you've done this week and back to back weeks and it's like, huh, maybe we're pretty good on defense. Jadavion Clowney, in my opinion, right now has exceeded my expectations early on. And I think that um, I just hope he can stay healthy and keep doing what he's doing because he's playing really well. You can feel his impact. And um, against the run, Madison and Dalvin Cook combined for 19 carries for 55 yards. So they held them to under three yards a carry. So it wasn't just the pass defense. It was both for the Cleveland Browns. But anyways, I think Cleveland is in a very good spot and they're probably the favorites to win the AFC North. When was the last time we said the Cleveland Browns were the favorites to win that AFC North. That is pretty impressive stuff. Sorry if you guys can hear a dog barking. I, you know, you're going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Bears beat the Lions. So the Bears beat the Lions 24 14. Justin Fields played well. Justin Fields did not have the greatest game by any rookie quarterback ever, contrary to what Twitter will probably have you believe. But he made a few throws that were absolutely insane so he flashed what he can do 11 of 17 209 yards zero touchdowns one pick but he absolutely that throw to um alan robinson was a missile um across the like far hash to the opposite sideline it was it was unbelievable and then he made a really nice throw deep down the field to darnell mooney as well so david montgomery who i just found out is going to be out of this game, or I mean, out of the, uh, the next probably three, four, five games for the Bears with an, I think it's an MCL sprain, was awesome in this one. He had 23 carries, 106 yards, and two touchdowns, averaged uh, four, six a carry. And Darnell Mooney, five catches, 125 yards. Allen Robinson finally made a little bit of an appearance, I guess you could say, with that long catch. He had three for 63. And um, the Bear defense had four sacks. They were all over the uh, uh, Jared Goff and the Lions offense, they were getting consistent pressure as well and impactful pressures too. Not all pressures are created equal, right? You can have a, a quote unquote pressure that doesn't impact the quarterback as much, right? But these Bears pressures, in my opinion, were impactful. Um, but Goff was still good 24 of 38, 299, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, Jamal Williams was a much better runner than DeAndre Swift in this game, much to my dismay i mean he had 14 carries for 66 yards swift just eight for 16 so two yards a carry ain't gonna cut it but um the lions if you want to find something to be really optimistic about in my opinion it should be these these young receivers were good you know um khalif raymond made some plays after the catch quintess cephas did his thing again 
and um, the uh, Amon Ross St. Brown had a pretty nice game as well. So I think that's something to to behold for if you're a Lions fan in an optimistic light. And then also the fact that you guys don't quit. You do not give up on Dan Campbell. And I just I hope that continues. I don't see any reason why it won't. And I think the Lions, if they stay patient and don't fire Dan Campbell after this year or, or halfway into next year, stay the course here. You guys will be a good football team sooner than later. You see what happened to a team like the Carolina Panthers? I could see that same kind of thing happening to the Detroit Lions. I really could. I'm I'm a believer so far in Dan Campbell and what he's doing there. So we'll see about the Bears. I, I think that uh, Justin Fields probably earned his spot to start next week, despite what Matt Nagy saying and shout out to Matt Nagy for actually allowing the play calling duties to to get away from him obviously and objectively speaking it's clearly the better offense when he's not calling the plays so that was cool the Bills shut out the Houston Texans 40 to 0 that's right 40 to 0 um the Bills the last 3 weeks have beat their opponents by a combined score of 118 to 21 someone responded and said yeah but they haven't played anyone. First of all, Washington is not a bad team. They're a good team. And, you know, to say they haven't played anyone, that's what you're supposed to do. Even if they had played the Texans three weeks in a row, if you beat them 118 to 21, that means you're pretty damn good at football, right? They've shut two teams out. And by the way, I know the Jets weren't thought of to be anything, right? But this is the NFL. You shut out the, um, or I'm sorry, they shut out the Dolphins. The Dolphins, guys, we all expected the Dolphins to be a playoff team. It was never on the back of Tua Tagovailoa being an elite quarterback. It was because of everything else that they have there. Well, they shut them out in Miami 35-zip, right? So, um, anyways, I think that the Bills, two shutouts in the last three weeks, they're completely dismantling their opponents, and they're supposed to, right? The defense looks back to the 2019-2018 form. I mean, Davis Mills in this game was 11 of 21 for 87 yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, that's that's not exactly good, right? And that's and you say, well, that's what they're supposed to do, Davis Mills. Well, they did what they were supposed to do then. Next week, we see him against Pat Mahomes. I can't wait to see that. Um, let's see. Singletary and Moss each had 14 carries. Singletary went for 79 yards. Moss went for 61, but he still got in the end zone. Singletary did not. And then of course you got Josh Allen running the ball six times for 41 yards. They ran the ball Buffalo 37 times. And that's not counting the kneel downs. They ran 37. They threw the ball 30 times. That right there is a scary thing because if the Buffalo bills are a balanced offense, that can still make the dynamic plays that we saw Josh Allen make in this one as well. And they are a really good defense. That is going to be a very, very difficult team to deal with. And the only concern I have in Buffalo now is you're playing this well, this early. Like, I don't want you to peak too soon. You know, like the Steelers did last year. Right. And I know that's a weird concerned to have but I, I do think that it, it's you know I do think there's merit to it I, I don't want I don't want you to peak too soon but I also want you to keep winning so we'll, we'll see how it goes but I can't wait to see Buffalo and the Chiefs next week it's gonna be a great game all right um the Colts finally get, get a win they beat the Miami Dolphins 27-17 so I saw this thing on Carson Wentz via pro football focus that he has not even made one turnover worthy play so far and for in uh it's been four games. Yeah. So that's cool. Wentz was 24 of 32 for 228, two touchdowns, no picks. Jonathan Taylor was awesome, finally. And still, at, he didn't get the ball as much as I would have liked, even though he touched it 19 times, had 16 carries, 103 yards, and a touchdown. I think that, um, in my opinion, feed the man. He's a he's an borderline elite player, in my opinion. I, I might be jumping the gun on that, but I just really believe that that's, that's you know, probably the truth like give that dude the football man he's a he's a dynamic dynamic player but the Colts defense looked back to the you know kind of what we would have expected them to look like remember we, uh, last year one of the better defenses in football we kind of um haven't seen that so far this year but we definitely saw it in this game Michael Pittman by the way still had six catches 59 yards for that Colts offense but you know, all in all, a good team win for the Colts and uh and again as I mentioned earlier they're only one game behind the Titans now all right, Washington wins a crazy game in Atlanta, man. That was awesome. And Taylor Heineke was good again. 
23 of 33, 293 touchdowns, no picks. Oh, by the way, he also ran the ball five times for 43 yards. Antonio Gibson played well, 14 carries, 63 yards, and a touchdown. That's 4-5 a carry. Terry McLaurin was targeted 13 times. Uh, he only caught six of them, so it's less than 50% catch rate. But guess what? It went for 123 yards and two touchdowns. So that was awesome. J.D. McKissick was a factor in the passing game as well. Had five for 44 and a touchdown. Uh, the long touchdown catch, uh, catch and run. And um, look, defensively, I know a lot of people are not happy, and nor, they, nor should they be, with the way the Washington football team's defense has played thus far. But what I will say is they had their moments, right? Matt Ryan completed the low percentage of his passes, probably in like the 58 range percent. And um, they weren't able to to, uh, sack him a lot, only one sack, but they were able to make things very difficult, right? The run defense was flat out good because the combination of Cordero Patterson, Wayne Gallman, and Mike Davis carried the ball 25 times for only 77 yards. So that was good. I know Cordell Patterson caught five for 82 and three touchdowns. Pretty outrageous there. Calvin Ridley was targeted 13 times. So you're still getting the volume, but he just caught seven of them for 80 yards. It's kind of been his MO this year. Not much in the way of chunk plays going for so far for Calvin Ridley. And, um, but yeah, ultimately, I think that it was a big, big win for the Washington football team, and I think that they needed it, right, to keep pace because now they're two and two. They're only a game behind Dallas, right, and they they still have to play them, uh, I believe, two times. So that's you know that mean that means if you can stay within a game of them, that means you're in there, right? Like if you can control your own destiny and handle business against them twice, which is I know not going to be an easy task, but if they can just stay within striking distance, those two games could be the great equalizer that they need. So they are the the team right now in the NFC East that is not by any means out of it. And um, the defense is going to continue to play better because I've seen it. I know how Ron Rivera coach teams work. I, I've seen the Panthers under Rivera many times start the season slow in terms of sacks and pressures and things like that. And then they get the turnovers in bunches and the sacks in bunches as well. Once the cold weather comes, I promise you it's very encouraging to me that the run defense was good. And uh, yeah, man, I just think Washington is a, I think they're a good team. I don't, I think we need to make sure we don't discount them too early uh, because as I said, they're just, they're already, they're just two and two. They're not out of it by any means. Um, all right. Seattle Seahawks avoid a one and three start with a huge road win against San Francisco. And boy, it did not start out pretty in Seattle. I mean, uh, in San Francisco for Seattle, it looked like they were going to get blown out of the arena. I mean, it really did. It, it was, it was seven, nothing after the first drive touchdown uh, Niners and then, you know, after that, it just it, it, the Niners went right down the field again for a field goal, and they were starting to drive down the field again and threw a, an interception. So it was like it was it looked like they were going to be unstoppable, right? Who knew that was the end of the scoring for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He only he only mustered up, I believe it was seven points, right? And so the thing that impressed me with the Seahawks was the adjustments that they made on offense because early in the game. From the first possession on, it was very, very evident that they were not going to be able to just drop back and pass against this 49er pass rush. They had no answer, and that's why a balanced offense. I took a lot of shit on Twitter the other day for for criticize or for I guess people thought I was criticizing Russell Wilson. I was not. I was saying that Seattle wins when they're balanced. They don't win when Russell attempts 37 or more passes. I mean, just look, the numbers, especially when you get to 40 attempts, they don't win those games. They just don't because they allow, they, it's too much pressure. It's too unpredictable. I mean, it's too predictable, right? But what happened early was they came out and weren't really all that interested in running the ball. They adjusted, I think it was around the end of the second quarter and on, they, they, they started calling a lot of quick game, quick screens, quick passes. They started running the football with their running backs. Alex Collins ran hard, man. 10 carries for 44 yards and a touchdown. I think Chris Carson had another 13 for 30. So it wasn't his most effective day, but I think he might not have been healthy or whatever. But Russell Wilson, what did they do in this game? 23 pass attempts. He was 16 of 23, 149 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. They ran the ball 28 times. They threw the ball 23 times. Russell, by the way, also chipped in with four carries for 26 yards and a touchdown himself. But I think that what they did adjustment wise, and this is why I think Pete Carroll's one of the very best coaches in the NFL, they adjusted on offense with their play calling. And they also adjusted on defense because as I mentioned, it didn't look like they could stop San Francisco at all. 
early in the game until they started getting a bunch of stops, right? So it was it was nice. I thought that Trey Lance, of course, came in, started the second half. I think Trey Lance played fantastically well. And I really I I say this with full understanding that he missed two or three or four throws. He absolutely did. But guess what, guys? When you're a rookie quarterback that hasn't actually played, you know, pretty much other than one game in two years, you're going to have a little bit of an adjustment level to the speed of the game. And that's going to result in your feet not being quite right. And, you know, maybe you miss a throw or two here and there. Like we saw Jamar Chase drop a shitload of passes in preseason because he hadn't played football in two years. Right. It wasn't because Jamar Chase sucks or whatever. It was because he wasn't you know, in football shape to that extent yet. But when you look at Trey Lance, in my opinion, we saw the dynamic plays. We saw the explosiveness on him as a runner. We saw the elite arm. We saw him not miss the wide open Debo Samuel for the long touchdown there. We saw a lot of good things from Trey Lance, in my opinion. I'm not worried about him missing throws because I just think that he'll be fine in that regard. Like, even if, look, Josh Allen still misses throws. You know, everybody misses throws, but when you have the compensating factors that the guy like Trey Lance has, I'm not concerned about it, man. I think that this dude, there are going to be times early in his career where it doesn't look as clean as some of Jimmy Garoppolo's stat lines, right? But I also think there are going to be plays, and and I mean many, many plays made in every single game this kid plays in that no one else in the league or maybe only one or two, three other guys at most could make. And that that goes for not just what he can do with his legs, but what he can do as a passer as well, because that dude can absolutely sling it, man. He made some really nice throws. He had one, I think, to George Kittle in the end zone that should have been caught, in my opinion, uh, and, it, and it wasn't. So there was, you know, stat line wasn't fantastic, but he was very good, in my opinion, aside from missing a couple throws. All right, Trey Sermon also, 19 carries, 89 yards, 4.7 yards per carry. Debo Samuel was clearly that dude again, eight for uh, caught eight of 12 targets for 156 yards and two touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk disappointed me with only one catch for 15 yards. But um, altogether, man, it was a good performance by the Seattle Seahawks. You got to give them credit. They they needed to win this game because going down to one and three in an NFC right in an NFC West division in particular that's just very very good. You know, the only undefeated team in football is the Arizona Cardinals in that division. The Rams are also three and one. So like they couldn't afford to let this slip because they would have almost been out of the race at that point for the division, not necessarily for the playoffs, but sitting at two and two means that you're, you know, you're right there in the thick of it, you know, and anything could happen. So that was big. And um, altogether, I think if you're a Niners fan, you should feel pretty encouraged about how well your defense played again, holding Russell Wilson to, to fewer than 150 passing yards is pretty damn good. And um, you know, the, the pressure they were able to get without blitzing was very encouraging as well. So I'm not, I'm not hanging my head low at all if I'm a Niner fan, but I'm extra uh, hyped if I'm a Seahawks fan. Arizona, speaking of the NFC West, let's talk about what they did. They finally beat the LA Rams and they did so convincingly 37 to 20. They were very, very good the entire game. Kyler Murray was awesome. 24 of 32. 268, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He also carried the ball six times for 39 yards. What I what I liked most about Kyler in this game, yeah, we saw the improv skills where he can, you know, run around and, and uh throw somebody open or whatever. We saw that stuff and that was great. But what we also saw was Kyler Murray being an effective passer from the pocket, right? Being able to hit his back foot get rid of the football, work through his progressions, and make accurate throws from the pocket. We didn't see a guy that was reliant on his legs. We saw a guy that, if he needed to use his legs, absolutely still can and will, but we saw a guy that can also hurt you in a more traditional way as a pocket passer, and that's what we really never saw from him last year. It's a balanced attack there in, in Arizona, man. They're even they're, they have a nice little running back by committee that go in there with Chase Edmonds, who was spectacular. Twelve carries, 120 yards, and then he also had four catches for 19 yards. So he was awesome. He had James Conner, who was the the you know the the guy that what's it called battering ram. 18 carries, 50 yards, and two touchdowns. And look, it was a really nice thunder and lightning running back by committee because 
Connor was getting their, you know, blue collar, getting the getting the ugly yards, so to speak, right? And short yardage, goal line carries, things of that nature. And then when you're backed up on your own goal line, you got plenty of space, in other words, for uh, for your offense to maneuver. You got Chase Edmonds breaking 40, 50 yard runs or whatever it was. So I like that. I think that uh, the Cardinals' offense was balanced as hell. 38 rush attempts, 32 passes. And of course, some of those were by Kyler and some of those by design, some of them probably scrambles. But the point is, that's a very balanced offense. Remember when when Kingsbury uh, was first, you know, kind of getting rolling as the coach and even for some of last year as well. It was like, yeah, we're just going to run it. Uh, we're going to run it 10 times and throw it 40. It was like a, a very unbalanced offense at times. So well, that's not what they're doing now. They're they're extremely balanced. You know, as I mentioned, they ran the ball more times than they threw the ball. So that was that was encouraging to see for Arizona. And especially when you got a guy like Kyler Murray that can beat you from the pocket, that can also beat you improvising and also beat you with his legs. That's a very scary team in Arizona. Plus, the defense was very good. They held Matthew Stafford to by far his worst performance as a Ram, 26 of 41, 280, two touchdowns, one pick. You know, I think that, um, yeah, I thought Stafford, by the way, I thought Stafford scored a touchdown on that run. I have him in fantasy in a few leagues, so I was kind of disappointed that they didn't call that. But why? I don't know why the Rams didn't challenge that either, by the way. That was maybe their last chance because then – after that, the Arizona Cardinal defense stood tall and were able to force a uh, fourth down turnover on downs after that. But um, but yeah, I mean, and just on a fantasy side note real quick, I thought Daryl Henderson was awesome, right? 14 carries, 89 yards. That's about six and a half yards a carry. He also caught five passes for 27 yards. So all in all, 19 touches for 116 yards, and he is clearly the guy. And if Sonny Michelle was eventually going to pose any type of threat to him in that regard, well, he would have had to do so without fumbling on this, you know, one of his three touches. So that was <laughs> discouraging. And a lot of people are, I've seen are, are kind of talking shit about the Cardinals in the sense that like, why'd you give up that draft capital for Sony Michelle guys? The reason they gave up that draft capital for Sony Michelle was not for him to come in and be the bell cow. It was for him to come in and be a, a, a number two, a real legitimate number two running back, you know? And um, so mark my words, Anything happens to Daryl Henderson, he misses two, three, four games, whatever. Sonny Michelle is going to come in and carry the ball 20 plus times every week. And he's going to, and I know last week he didn't necessarily do that because he played against the uh, Buccaneers, but he's going to come in there and he's going to be the feature back, just like CJ Anderson was, uh, you know, a few years ago when Todd Gurley went out. So that's how Sean McVay prefers to use his his running backs. And when you got a guy like Daryl Henderson that's being extremely efficient, over six yards a touch. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to take him out. I also think Van Jefferson, somebody who I absolutely loved pre-draft, had his one of his best games as a pro, six catches for 90 yards. And then, of course, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods combined for nine for 112 and a touchdown. So um, all in all, I thought the Arizona defense, while you just see they allowed some yards, right, they also perfectly executed the bend but don't break philosophy strategy of defense, if you will, and they were able to do that to a T, as I mentioned, that goal line stand being the the kind of, um, you know, the play that really sum, sums that whole thing up perfectly. So big win for the Cardinals. And as I mentioned, they are the only undefeated team in the National Football League, the Arizona Cardinals. I said before this season started, I said this is a make or break year for Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and company, right? So far, they're making. <laughs> they're not breaking. All right. The uh, Ravens went into Denver and dominated the Denver Broncos 23-7. That Baltimore defense was phenomenal, right? They were, I mean, really, really good. And by the way, Lamar Jackson, he beat Denver, a great passing defense, with his arm. 22 of 37, 316 at one touchdown, zero picks. Hollywood Brown was able to bounce back and, and have a nice game after a, a rough outing with drops um, last week in, in Detroit. And so you saw it was almost the worst case scenario for um, for teams in the AFC, right? Because Baltimore went into Detroit and should have lost that game last week, right? They almost they blew it at the end, should have lost the game. But then they came in this week and they're like, we are not going to take our foot off the gas against these Denver Broncos. And we, you know, we couldn't really run the ball that well, but we were able to keep the streak alive, which I know Ravens fans are, are in an argument right now with, with Denver fans about, but look, Lamar Jackson, as I mentioned, was able to do everything, was able to do the majority of his damage with his arm against the great pass defense in the Denver Broncos. So, um, 
the Ravens had four players with four or more receptions. So that's a balanced offense. And that's something that I can't wait till they get Rashad Bateman back. It's going to be even more balanced. But I thought that uh, the offense was very efficient, very good, you know, no, didn't make any critical mistakes. And they made big plays when they had the opportunities. And their defense, as I mentioned, was awesome. They sacked Denver quarterbacks five times, got consistent pressure, were able to hold up on the back end in coverage. And uh, believe it or not, Denver. Denver's running backs ran the ball efficiently. Uh, they just obviously the game flow kind of played a factor in that, but they had 16 carries Gordon and Javante Williams combined for 16 carries for 104 yards. That's over six yards uh, per attempt. So that from that standpoint, they were good, but man, it was just not your day. Like sometimes you just get out coached, you know, and in terms of like what your offense can't do anything against a particular defense because their game plan was just better than yours. And I think that, is ultimately what Vic Fangio is so mad about, most likely, right? It's not that he hates Harbaugh and all that. Like, I think he just knows he had my number. And also, they ran the ball for five yards for no apparent reason other than to keep a record alive at the end of the game, which just kind of added insult to injury there. But all in all, the Baltimore Ravens thoroughly outplayed the Denver Broncos in this one in Denver. And as far as Drew Locke goes, I know he came in for Teddy, who left with a concussion. I I really hope that... Uh, Drew Locke gets to start next week because I I really think you're leaving some meat on the bone if you're the Denver Broncos because, you know, I know he didn't play well, particularly well in this game, but it was off the bench in a in a just a tough matchup where, again, you were out coach. You were out everything right by the by the Baltimore Ravens, just a bad matchup for you on that particular day. But um, I'd like to see Locke get another opportunity next week and just, you know, if he stinks again, hey, then, then that's it. Pull the plug. Let Teddy let Teddy do his thing. But um, I'd like to see it. All right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go into New England and they beat the New England Patriots, right? That was, uh, you know, I think a lot of people expected the Bucs to win, but for some reason the spread, and I don't know why I didn't bet the hell out of this, the spread was seven points. That felt way too big, you know, in my estimation at least. But uh, let's start with Mac Jones because he did some really good things. And I know he didn't push the ball down the field. I get all that, but Mac Jones was... 31 of 40 for 275, two touchdowns, one interception. He set a uh, record for consecutive completions by a rookie with 19, right? Mac Jones was doing what Tom Brady has done to so many defenses, you know, with Belichick. He was doing that against the Tom Brady team, 19 consecutive completions. I mean, we've seen Brady do stuff like that in similar fashion, too. It doesn't mean he can't throw the football uh, down the football field. It just means that. Look, when you do you know why Mac Jones wasn't attempting deep balls against the Buccaneers? It's because they have a really good pass rush. So your game plan is going to be very much centered around the fact that you want to get the football out of his hands. You don't want him back there holding the ball, right? So <clears throat> it was an effective game plan, you know, especially Mac Jones had zero support of a run game. I mean, they had what negative, I think they had negative one yards rushing, right? So it wasn't like uh, you know, it wasn't like they had much else. So they had to essentially use their short passing game as an extension of the running game because that running game was non-existent. I thought the uh, balance that Mac Jones was distributing the ball with the, to these Patriot receivers was impressive. He had six Patriot receivers, had three or more receptions, led by, of course, Jacoby Myers, who's really becoming their number one receiver. Eight receptions on 12 targets for 70 yards. And um, so that's all the good stuff for New England offensively. Defensively, I thought they played really well as well. I mean, they made things difficult on Tom Brady. They were able to disguise things, of course, as only Belichick does after the snap. And they know Brady can read and process and react better than pretty much anybody has ever done in the history of this sport. So they were able to, you know, sometimes you know where to go with the ball, but because they're making it difficult on you to process everything after the snap, Sometimes you miss a throw, right? And that's what we saw with Brady. He missed some throws. He did not uh, have his best game, right? I don't think anybody would would claim that was Tom Brady's best game. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't make any big mistakes, right? Yeah, he missed a couple throws here and there. I mean, I'd, I'd probably say he missed at least five throws, to be honest. Like he, but what he didn't do was was make the catastrophic mistake, and and because of that. We always see Tom Brady-led teams on teams that he's playing quarterback for. You rarely see the game get out of control. You rarely see it get to a point where they can't come back and win it or they're out of the game or they're in a huge 
you know, deficit. And even in, on the times where they have gotten into huge deficits, he's in many cases brought them back to win. He does shit like that because he doesn't his situational football, his understanding for situational football and the plays he makes in situational football plays are elite. For example, he made uh, so he threw the ball. I, I think it was a pretty decent throw to Antonio Brown on the sideline, right? Brown couldn't find the ball or whatever in the lights, and it was incomplete. Okay. Very next play, and remember that ball was was thrown with a ton of air underneath it. Okay. The very next play on third down, instead of going for the first down to keep the drive alive, Brady went for the throat. He went, and that would have that would have put the game away. It would have put the game out of reach, and he made on that second throw to Antonio Brown. A phenomenal throw. I mean, it was just outside of the of the reach of the defender where only A.B. could get it. A.B. got both hands on it and dropped the ball, right? But just as an example of situational football play being at elite level, that was an example of that as well, right? Because Brady, again, in the perfect situation for that, you know, did that and knowing he was going to get single coverage and just believe that AB a- was going to beat him or AB, if he didn't beat Jonathan Jones, he was at least going to be in a position where Brady's going to put the ball only where AB can get it. So if we don't catch this football, we'll kick the field goal and that should give us the lead anyway. So uh, just things like that, you know, it's typical Brady fashion, man. He was just, he wasn't great in this game and I didn't think he would be. I thought that Belichick had a, a tactical advantage. I mean, I, I mean, I posted about that before the game. You know, so, um, but Brady, again, no big mistakes, and he gets lucky at the end with the with the missed field goal. I thought the Patriots probably should have went for that because it was a, a long field goal and pretty rough weather for a long field goal. So, you know, from that standpoint, I thought that um, they kind of got what they deserved, but also, of course, Brady got Brady got lucky. You know, they, they won. Brady, Brady will probably not shy away from telling you he's a lucky motherfucker. I mean, the dude gets lucky just what he does we've seen his kicker makes the kick your kicker doesn't that's just we've seen that happen in Brady's career I'm not giving him necessarily credit for it but I don't know man maybe he's got some some kind of superstitious juju he's doing that uh that's working or whatever but um also want to point out that Leonard Fournette had 23 touches for 138 yards right Rojo had six touches so the battle for who the RB1 in Tampa is, at least from a fantasy standpoint, is pretty much settled. I mean, it's been it's been getting more and more uh, Fournette-centric, and that was a very, you know, another big example of that. So, big win for the Bucks. And it look, like I said about the Browns, right? You got to be able to win football games because this is what good teams do. You win football games when you don't play your best football. For a variety of reasons, Tampa did not play their best football. And they were able to go on the road and beat the New England Patriots, right? So in Tom Brady's revenge game and all that kind of stuff, they get a nice win for their for their club. And that's going to be a, one of the wins that kind of uh, a character-building win. It's going to be a big deal in that regard because Brady didn't want to lose that game. Let's be honest. Okay, let's talk about the Bengals and Jags. Let's, let's rewind to Thursday night where... Guess what? We had two young quarterbacks. I think it was like 8 million combined viewers uh, on that game, by the way, which is a pretty damn big showing. So I guess as someone mentioned, the young quarterbacks are a draw. Um, So Joe Burrow had his best game as a pro. Trevor Lawrence had his best game as a pro. So that was pretty cool to watch, right? Burrow's best game was a whole lot better than Lawrence's, but Burrow's ahead of him in terms of like this is year two for Joe Burrow. Burrow completed 25 of 32 for 348, two touchdowns, no picks. He averaged almost 11 yards in attempt while completing almost 80% of his passes. That's outrageous. Trevor Lawrence, 17 of 24, 204 yards. That's 8.5 yards per pass attempt. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but also did not have an interception. And guess what? I've been pounding the table for him to run the football. He ran it eight times for 36 yards and a touchdown. So we finally got to see what that looks like. And it and it worked exactly how I imagined it would work, right? You get the young guy's confidence going with him converting a couple first downs, even a touchdown with his legs. And then you get him on the move, rolling outside the pocket. And he's completing 50-yard bombs, the LaVisca Chanel, right? All of a sudden confidence and momentum are things that matter and when you get those things established especially for a young quarterback but for any quarterback as well you know it's it's a good thing right and it and it definitely helped Lawrence and I was happy to see him not turn the ball over in this game 
both running backs were very good. Joe Mixon had 16, uh, 16 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown, so averaged over four yards a carry, finally got in the end zone. And then James Robinson, uh, 18 carries for 78 yards and two touchdowns, so almost four and a half yards per carry for Robinson. The only thing that I didn't like, I love what the Jacksonville coaching staff did in the first half in terms of calling plays and how they balanced the run to pass. But James Robinson in the first half had 12 carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. In the second half, he only carried it six times and, you know, six times for 13 yards and a touchdown. It wasn't like to me, they should have run him more in the second half, because I think if anything, if you're that effectively running the ball in the first half, you need to um, continue to build around. I, I felt like they were so excited that Trevor was playing well, that they just kind of wanted to put it all in the Trevor's hands. And, and it kind of got a little bit out of hand in that regard because they were right there in the thick of it. It wasn't game flow should not have been a thing where they, you know, uh, didn't run the ball as much like they were, they were right there. Um, and so, but anyways, I think it was a definitely an encouraging sign for the Jacksonville coaching staff. Of course, I'm not talking about what Urban Meyer was out there doing the other night, but you know, I think the coaching staff did a pretty damn good job. I was really impressed with the Bengals receiving duo of Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase. I mean, they had Boyd nine for 118, Chase six for 77. And then the tight end Ozuma had five for 95 and two touchdowns who we might want to pick up, but I wouldn't spend the world on them. We'll do a waiver one. I'll do a waiver episode uh, coming probably tomorrow or something like that. And let's see here. But yeah, man, it was a, it was a very good win for the Bengals and they did especially in the second half, what good teams are supposed to do, which is handle business versus a team you're supposed to beat. And Joe Burrow, you know, that right there could be a career changing, not that it's needed to be changed, but it could be one of those, one of those performances where you say, where Joe Burrow says, oh yeah, I can do this. Because in my opinion, he looked a whole lot more like the confident Joe Burrow that was played at LSU that, that his last year there he looked a whole lot more like that than he did a young NFL quarterback. He looked confident. He looked composed. He was extremely accurate and um, he was clutch. So big, big win for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Jags just stick with it, man. I hope urban Meyer, you know, gets his shit together with whatever he's dealing with outside of the football team. But um, all in all, I thought the, the Jags coaching staff had their best game of the season as well. Okay. Last night's game, let's talk about the Chargers dominating. And I say dominating in a in a way where, you know, I know it was a close game, but I felt like in some ways it was dominated by the Chargers. 28 to 14 was the final. The Chargers, by the way, I think they're in first place in the in the AFC West now. So what a difference a day makes, right? And um, you know, I thought both defenses in this game, for the record, I thought they both played very well. I thought, uh, look, for example, Justin Herbert in the first half was 20 of 25 for 175 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, right? In the second half, Herbert was five out of 13 for 47 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, I'm only saying that to state that the Raiders defense obviously was pretty damn good in the second half, but what I will say about Herbert, and this right here is what makes the difference for, between a good and a great player, or a player like, let's say, you know, how they view Russell Westbrook in the NBA versus a player like how I view Tom Brady in the NFL, a guy that makes winning plays. What am I talking about? Justin Herbert made the four, was it a fourth down and three play. And by the way, the balls on his coach, Coach Staley at that point to go for it there and to and for Herbert to make that throw. This is why I compared him in the clutch moments to Eli Manning. He does shit like that. Like that was not the easiest, safest, you know, way to convert that, but he threw it in the perfect spot at the perfect time. There was zero hesitation to his game in the biggest moment of the football game, right? It was like fourth and two, fourth and three, and he just throws an absolute dime to the tight end there, Jared Cook. So I thought that was, you know, when I say he didn't play all that well in the second half, he still made a couple of plays like that when he absolutely needed him. And then we had uh, Austin Eckler finished him, man. He, he had 15 carries, 117 yards and a touchdown at three catches for 28 yards and a touchdown. But of course, had that final long touchdown run to ice the game. And that was pretty cool. And um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, Derwin James, Derek Carr in that final interception by Derwin James, he was throwing because he knew he had man coverage and he was throwing to his best receiver because he, Darren Waller, he planned on Darren Waller being able to beat anybody that lined up across from him. 
that didn't happen. Not only did it not happen, Derwin James was all over the route, basically ran it for him and turned around and picked it to ice the game. So that right there was awesome. And the most uh, impressive thing, in my opinion, for this Chargers, the way they played was it was complimentary football again. You know, it was they're doing they're doing it with their offense when that when they needed to do it with their offense. They're doing it with their defense when they needed to do it with their defense. The pass rushes all over Derek Carr. I believe they sacked him four times. The pressures were mounting up. It was not, you know, the coverage was there on the back end. Jerry Tillery starts looking like the Jerry Tillery that I had a first round grade on coming out of Notre Dame, you know, and um ultimately just a very good complete football game by a complete football team in the Chargers and they um you know f- uh, four games into the season they steal I-, I believe sole possession in first place in the AFC West so that was nice I thought the Raiders just needed to be more consistent in terms of their offense right Derek Carr by the way he rugs had his guy beat on that deep ball that might have been able to, t- to save this game and Carr just missed him but overall you know Carr was okay it wasn't his best game but it was it was against a very good defense so with the Chargers so anyways guys that's what I got for you I will um be back tomorrow I'll probably do a waiver wire episode and if you're enjoying the pod consider subscribing and also leaving a review on Apple peace